Welcome to Two Guys, One Book, where two friends tackle their reading list one book at a time. You got it, Tim. Thanks, Brian. All right. Welcome back. Two Guys, One Book. I'm Tim. And I am Brian. And today we are discussing the book Pandemic by Sonia Shaw. My pick. And yes. The question that inevitably follows is... Why did you pick this book, Tim? <laughs> I was waiting for that. Jeez. Yeah. Um, so the reason is because I heard her interviewed on the TED Radio. Wait, was it TED Radio? No, it's it like the TED Interview Podcast. Oh. Chris Anderson, the British guy, head of TED. He's the TED head. He <laughs> said, the TED head said, <laughs> Sonia Shaw wrote Ted, a good book. Was his, what's his name? Chris Anderson. Oh, I think the TED head yeah. said. Yeah, he said uh, uh, her book was... It's okay, we'll edit all this <laughs> no, out. it's okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, she wrote this book called Pandemic, and it was like two years ago, and we're living through a pandemic now. This is August 2nd, 2020. So, you know, to everyone out there, we're still, we're still going strong, but it's kind of a crazy you know, times. Yeah, you know, American exceptionalism is... Um, apparently pertain to pandemics too <laughs> we're number one we're number one baby i mean <laughs> no one in the world can get as many can get can spread an infectious disease quite like america it's not the record you want to have i right? know not the record we want to have but the record we deserve <laughs> well said yeah so so um so you heard an interview yep i had no idea there was a ted interview pub ted interview show or yeah, podcast yeah. or something. it's pretty good it'll be okay. people who were on ted they did a presentation and then he liked them so he wanted to have a longer drawn out discussion ah, i see yeah okay cool but yeah no i was very um you know i mean i found this book very entertaining i think yeah. she's a good author um what what was your first impressions of it uh first impression i liked it i mean it's mm -hmm. definitely topical so if you asked us you know like a year ago would we like it as much? I don't know, because it really? wouldn't be as relevant. I just feel like it's better to be knowledgeable of, you know, the history of pandemics, given everything going on. Like, we should mm -hmm. all have better context. But it stands alone. It's a good book on right. its own, too. I agree with that. I agree it stands alone well, but I kind of wish I would have read it before the coronavirus. Oh, really? You'd be more prepared, do you think? N no. I, because I think I would have been more engaged with the book. Because I feel like there were some times where she talked about how pandemics spread from animals to humans and then how it can be transmissed or transmissible among the human population. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of, I mean, with everything with COVID and everything, we kind of learned, if you keep up with the news, you kind of learn how the pandemic would or the disease would have spread from animals to humans and then how it would spread amongst the human population. So... Sometimes I felt like the book was the book was very educational, but at but at the same time I felt like I've already learned a lot of this stuff from living through coronavirus. So um, I didn't feel as engaged with the book then. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the the book was telling me some some things that I already knew, mm. and I and I'm not gonna I'm not saying that as a severe critique of the book. It's just I think, but you're right. We can only read the book in the lens that we have right now with COVID and everything. So it was very informative in that regard. But I kind of wish I would have read it before. Yeah, in hindsight, but yeah. who could have predicted everything? Right. Exactly. Okay. So what was the tagline of this book? It was from the, cholera to. Oh no! Yeah, it's the whole title of the book. Okay. Is pandemic tracking contagions. From cholera to Ebola and beyond. 
Okay. So do you think that is a fair subtitle? She did track from Colorado to Ebola and beyond, I would say. Do you think so? Well, yeah, I mean, to me... Not enough plague. Not enough bubonic plague in this one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it was kind of hard to research like <laughs> yeah. those times. Sure. When, that was a while ago. Like, yeah. But I feel like cholera was very interesting because I think cholera was a more modern disease than the plague. Mm-hmm. And it, it really opened our eyes to germ theory versus uh, the Hippocratic old school line of thought when it comes to medicine mm-hmm. which I thought was very interesting about this book but like I felt like the subtitle was a little misleading because I, I did focus heavily on cholera mm-hmm. which I was fine with like reading it I enjoyed learning about cholera even if it's a disgusting you know disease yeah. but um, it's basically you die by di- diarrhea if people don't know what cholera is um, and then, but like, I didn't feel like there was much, like the and beyond was a little vague. You know, I, yeah. I understand like you can't predict where things, the next things are going to come from, but she did hit on some points using cholera as an example mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to scapegoating or communication or how, um, corrupt businesses and, and governments can, uh, um, can, exacerbate the spread of a pandemic yeah that's so that, fair yeah. oh sorry no i mean that that's it i mean that so like i you know it's tough to exactly predict what's going to happen with the and beyond section of the book but um no I yeah think fine. i think just going off that like in general she's sort of jumped around a lot because mm-hmm. she talked about cholera and then she talked about all this other stuff and then she came back to it and so it wasn't always clear like um i think where the narrative was heading mm-hmm. um so yeah i think it could have maybe had a little better structure to it or just clear delineation of like this chapter's on cholera this one's on ebola this one's on mers and sars and all these other diseases but i think she structured the book more and like uh i think she you know each chapter was about a different thing she talked about not not so each chapter wasn't about a certain disease each chapter was kind of like an aspect of of how a pandemic gets created like yeah the jump from animal species to humans and then filth the the way cholera spread through our human waste and how good lord the europe europe and new york city in the 1800s was just a, <laughs> was absolutely literal, a literal shit show <laughs> I, I think I, I think that's fair to say that new york city in the in like 1830s was a literal shit show <laughs> so i mean it i it was that i, I that might have been my most um my, my uh, the most eye-opening chapter for me to just read about the sanitary conditions in New York yeah. City and how people were basically, there was filth in the streets. They just put boards down so people could walk over the the, the waste that was just there in, in the sidewalk and streets. Yeah. Well, I guess they just had so many people living there yeah. and not a lot of regulations. So it was just pretty much a free-for-all. And that's just kind of like, this is how it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. But then, then she goes on to talk about other ways uh, or like how corrupt businesses and governments can exacerbate diseases and then scapegoating how you people look for like like how Donald I guess I'll say his name how Donald Trump likes to scapegoat the Chinese Mm -hmm. as the originators of the Mm COVID-19 and say you know it was the China virus and all that what's he doing he is creating an outlet to vent the frustration of his of him at uh, another government. But you can objectively say the virus 
originated in China. Correct. And they didn't do enough to contain it early on. Correct. But it's not to justify scapegoating or racism or anything right. like that. Correct. That, yeah, it comes but, from that. But in the book, she talks about how that happens a lot. That scapegoat, they scapegoating blame immigrants. racism. Yeah. Yeah, like the Irish mm-hmm. immigrants mm-hmm. who were living in like tightly packed quarters in New York in the 1800s mm-hmm. or something. Right. So, yeah, that's what's interesting is that there's parallels throughout history and that we maybe don't always learn our lesson over time. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> no. So, okay, so instead of focusing uh, one disease per chapter, it was more just, like, themes and patterns. And I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. So, I mean, it was, yeah, it made for, um, I don't know. I'm just going to stop. So what about, like, okay, so New York 1800s, and then what about today? What do we do that in the future? Like, I feel like even handshakes these days, like, nobody really shakes hands that much mm-hmm. in the last few months. That's kind of been a big change. Mm-hmm. Um and she mentioned how, like, even with, like, walking dogs and stuff, we're all okay with, like, everybody's dog pooping everywhere. And, like, <laughs> I love dogs, and I never really thought much about it. But, like, it is kind of, like, maybe, you know, unsanitary. Sure. You know, so. And, I mean, but, like, you're supposed to pick it up. and No, yeah. Take, you know, take care of it in a natural way. But sure. another thing I thought was interesting was, um, uh, I think, a couple things. Where uh, she talked about agriculture just briefly about when we, at the dawn of agriculture, that we humans were living more um, permanent lives in a certain area, and then they were domesticating animals from the wild, and then also all these wet markets in China where they would bring all these different exotic animals from different geographical regions and have them all in one place being, you know, living, still living and breathing and eating, sleeping, drinking, and pooping amongst each other so how different animals from different geographical regions were now in close proximity with humans and how and then all, and how those things can then be a breeding ground for new diseases yeah like if a bat spreads something to a pangolin that spreads yeah. it to this species like it's just going to keep going around yeah. and even if china had like quote-unquote banned wet markets like they're still going on in some form right essentially at least like a few years ago mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah. One thing I did not know was that bats, I think the book said, made up, make up 20% of all mammal species. I didn't know that, really. Yeah, because she says there's such a high variety of bats, and they can they you know, adapt to different environments all around the world oh. that they, over the eons that they have all these different species. And then they, they all um, you know fly, so they and sometimes migrate hundreds of miles or thousands of miles, so that if they do get... They, that's what makes them such... Um, they're like the prime uh, uh, microbe carrier. Carriers, yeah. 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 Well, something interesting, too, that she mentioned is like the white nose disease that bats have been suffering from, which has killed like a ton of bats, mm-hmm. which uh, I remember we went to like Mammoth Cave mm-hmm. and you had to like step on a certain solution mm-hmm. upon leaving so as not to potentially spread this disease had you tracked it or something. And oh, um yeah, so it's like, you know, they're spreading things that are killing us, and then we're spreading things that are killing them, and right. basically everybody's killing each other. And they serve a valuable part of the ecosystem, you know? What's so that? Bats do. Yeah, but what do they do? I have no idea. <laughs> but they say do. that. Because, like, that's why, that's why you have to be so Kill safe. all the bats. You know, that's just it. Kill all the bats. The inside pop, they, they help with insect control. How that's that? like, okay, so that, you know, that reminds me of in, in China, they, uh, it was like, this is what I heard, uh-huh. is Mao had killed, like, all the, what was it? 
locusts or mosquitoes that were uh, affecting the crop. And then, oh, frick, what was it? I'm going to mess it up. But anyway. Yeah. You, he, told, you already have. Okay, so anyway, he... <laughs> He uh, advised killing this whole like species, which totally screwed up the ecosystem, huh. and then they weren't performing some other function, which, yeah, totally backfired. Right. So, yeah, I totally understand the ecosystem thing, right. but at the same time, it's like, we can't be hanging out with bats. Right. No. I mean, You gotta let go of your pet bat, Brian. This is an intervention. What? <laughs> your pet bat, you need to give it up. <laughs> All right. So what's uh, yeah? What's but, next? I mean, other animals. Um, they talked about. Did you know influenza comes from ducks? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. That's what I learned from the book. And also that Egypt killed a bunch of pigs. I think during SARS or MERS, mm-hmm. Egypt killed a bunch of pigs, and then the 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 spiraling what spiraled out of control from that was they. They killed all these pigs. Pigs were uh, pig farmers were a lot of lower class people that would go through this, the towns to collect the the food waste mm-hmm. to feed their pigs. And without the pigs, those poor people didn't go through towns collecting the food waste. So trash just started to pile up in the streets um, in Egypt. So like, and which created unsanitary conditions for people to get sick in. So it was just it was just interesting how. Uh, pandemics can create a sense of fear, which will then uh, ham- hamstring people's decision-making processes, and then you get a, a spiraling effect that um, is not good. Yeah, like the tendency, I think, is to jump to like some easy, perceived easy solution, mm-hmm. but it's not always that simple. Right. Um, right. But just in general, she talked a lot about upfront, like the environmental changes that are leading to more pathogens being spread because it's like all these diseases are, um, all these animals are kind of getting like uprooted in their habitats and that sort of thing. Like Ebola, I think was someone who had contact with the bat because the bat had moved from one area to another or something. And right. they basically got in touch with someone from this like village. Yeah. And I think Ebola was also, uh, started in Africa where there was a lot of deforestation where, mm-hmm. So people were living closer and closer to wild animals yeah. and because they were moving the forest and all of the wild animals were more packed in the remaining forest. Yeah, that's what we kind of need. That was kind of a big takeaway for me is just like how interconnected everything is. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, like you hear about that a lot on a high level, but then just really reading about it in this book that like, you know, one change affects everything yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Um, so did you have a favorite part of this book? <sighs> favorite part. That's a good one. Um, I really liked when she wrote about cholera in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it was over a couple chapters. First, just learning the, how terrible the sanitary conditions were in New York. How nasty the drinking water was. Because they could have... And, and New York, the, the city government even contracted to a bank to put supply water throughout the city and the bank instead of taking that money and they had the funds to go and tap into a river further away and pipe it into the city they just decided to maximize their profits and tap into a local water source that was filthy and that would that would just keep spreading cholera around town yeah so that that was kind of opening and then then like you said with the irish immigrants then eventually they would they would find 
people to be the scapegoat and and put blame on like these people are dirty or they're filthy they don't you know they're the ones spreading the disease and um, just using that New York City in the 1800s was a good clear example of, of all the main points that she was talking about it's hard to trust from that example like that private interests care about public health yes I mean yeah a lot of them might even benefit from some level of disease going around because it means profit in some form yep. but I mean you know like at the same time capitalism and everything has led to toilet paper being available again in stores and us getting our basic needs met on some level so you always like are you uh, anti am I anti-capitalist <laughs> I am not anti-capitalist but I am I do not think that given the choice you know people would do what is good for the most people that capitalism and utilitarianism do not go side by side this is too high level yeah. we're gonna, <laughs> we don't know what we're talking about let's just get back to the book <laughs> did you have a favorite, uh, favorite part or uh, thing, or? yeah near near that part um mm-hmm. so when she was talking about it was cholera in like london mm. time, and so this guy john snow mm-hmm. right uh, also a Game of Thrones character, but unrelated. Do you think, do you think that's George R. R. Martin got the name? From My that? theory is that he just, yeah, heard about it, then forgot it, and then thought he mm. came up with it. Plus, he lives in, like, a snowy area in Game of Thrones, so... I mean... I guess. <laughs> what wasn't, the, wasn't the snow name the name of the Winterfell? royal family? Oh, Or was snow. he... The, was he the, see, I never... I never seen Game of Thrones. I don't know anything. Cancel Brian. Yeah, I'm sorry, but um, he likes bats. But I thought he was like the bastard. He was. He was. But that was his name. Was Jon Snow. It wasn't like the royal family that he was adopted by. Yeah, Stark was. Stark. The, okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you gotta watch it. Mm, All right, right. It's it's too hard. Anyway, London uh, cholera. So what was crazy at the time? This is like 1800s. Mm-hmm. Is everyone is like miasmatist? Yeah. Mi- right that's miasma miasma so they all thought that people were getting sick because they're inhaling these bad smells and it's like no it's just because there's like the disease cholera in the actual like sewage it's not the smell it's because you're like drinking polluted water and so he found the connection between the wells people were drinking and people getting sick but it just it was crazy to me that it took like decades oh yeah and like you know were they ever fully convinced or is it just they ended up moving like the well or the water source based Mm -hmm. on the smell and it ended up helping because people weren't drinking it right which yeah. is so crazy it's like they inadvertently initially um did the right thing but for the wrong reasons yeah so they didn't learn the lesson until like years later and 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 then there was another scientist who came up with germ theory and that eventually supplanted the miasmic yeah uh, theory or yeah. That's what's crazy. It's like you wonder today what scientific paradigms we're operating by. Mm-hmm. That it's like 20 years ago, it'd be like, wow, I can't believe they did that. Mm-hmm. And she even says, like, even though we went from this holistic Hippocratic approach to germ theory, that maybe we're, we missed a little something neglecting the holistic approach. Because, like, when you go to a doctor, they only are focused on the microbes. But she's like, you kind of have to take into account their environment, mm-hmm. who they um, had interactions with. Like, you know, the person as a whole not just some microbial disease right. right it's a combination yeah it is and i feel like that was a good point made by the book is that do not throw out the old way of thinking about the whole body and the whole environment way of health just because you know germ theory is more accurate on a microscopic level what do you think about cholera in like uh surfacing in haiti after the earthquake there i thought that was very interesting yeah. because it surfaced in haiti because 
UN soldiers were brought in from Nepal. From Nepal, right? Mm-hmm. Which I, I mean, I didn't even know. And apparently, she said that cholera is still in Haiti. It's just kind of been more of a, and uh, what did she call it? Um, it's more of an everyday thing now. Mm-hmm. It's like when something is endemic, it's like just kind of part like the flu, seasonal flu is endemic because mm-hmm. it kind of happens every, in America because it happens every year and and you know we bat, we try to battle it but it's also viewed as kind of a thing you put up with and I, I think that's kind of what cholera in Haiti is now yeah like, but it's crazy to think about how something like that can happen where people fly halfway around the world and just and bring the disease with them but hey that's what I think she mentioned something too like they maybe hadn't been exposed on that island before so the native population didn't have like biological defenses right but yeah you another pattern in the book is that a lot of local uh, governments and people don't really trust um you know international organizations coming to their country and then you know on some level you think they're a little bit justified because you know it's the un they're helping with the earthquake aftermath but then these foreign workers brought this disease in and um yeah i don't know it's a tough situation it is i mean you of course you wish it wouldn't happen but i don't know i mean i don't know and but you know on the other side the the worst part of it is in like parts of africa where they have these conspiracy theories about like people trying to treat ebola or like eradicate um malaria or something you know there's like yeah where where these conspiracy theories are that the people that are there in Africa trying to solve these trying diseases? To help. Right. Africans think that there there's some other nefarious plot going on. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, I think there are people who exploit that fear that you know there are these foreign people coming to our land, and there is a conspiracy theory. I think like Bill Gates and his foundation doing the shots, like that was like sterilizing people, mm. and it's just these things get way out of hand, and it's probably some local people just exploiting that fear. Mm-hmm. So right, right. Yeah, it's unfortunate. So what else? Uh, yeah, what other parts of this book did you want to talk about? Well, it kind of like, for me, I, I like the first third and the middle third, but then the last third kind of tapered off for me. Mm-hmm. Um, where she kind of talked about, I mean, like, I must admit, I was reading this late at night <laughs> a few nights ago, so I was a little tired and mm-hmm. maybe I wasn't letting it all sink in but she was kind of the last couple chapters about just um kind of where we go from here or or i'm not i'm not even sure like it just it just didn't resonate with me as well it it didn't seem to wrap up in a very like cohesive um you know tight tidy way i agree i agree but yeah i wish she had more like where do we go from here content i mean she talked about how hard it would be to actually get the public to realize when we're in the throes of another um epidemic mm-hmm. because she talked about how like in 2014 there ebola was in a there was an ebola outbreak in africa mm-hmm. and like one person came across came one american flew from africa to the states with it or something mm-hmm. and people like went crazy thinking oh my goodness ebola is going to spread across america right and she said that fear was kind of not founded in any actual reason. But then at the same time, we have Lyme's disease, which is spread by ticks, mm-hmm. and how that keeps a gradual increase every year 
of new people getting Lyme disease every year. Lyme disease. Lyme disease, excuse me. (laughs) Lyme disease. But regardless. And you don't want corona and Lyme disease together. (laughs) Trust me. bad combination they're not they're a natural pairing but try to avoid it if you can um but lyme disease has been steadily increasing in america but and it's a severe like some people can get severely ill from it and die but like no there's not nearly as much of a concern amongst the general population as there was in 2014 with ebola this is a really important point i'm glad you brought it up because um Lyme disease, like especially on the East Coast, like mm-hmm. very high populations of people are exposed to this, and the symptoms are like the side effects are really pretty bad. And yeah, compared to Ebola, where like only a handful of people might even get exposed to it, especially in the West, like our priorities are way out of sync. And I think it just goes back to like media sensationalizing one thing, maybe because like here's this foreign disease that sounds so scary and deadly. But objectively, like something like Lyme disease is going to affect way more people. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard as an individual to keep in our heads, like, what's the rational thing to be right. afraid of? I mean, it's like behavioral psychology. It's like, what should we statistically is most likely to affect us personally. Right. And, and what statistically is most likely to affect us is not always what we are most aware of or afraid of. Mm-hmm. Because I think that that uh, point is very evident with... Uh, COVID-19 when it first started and first made its appearance in America every everyone loved to say that like well we get we have so many more people die from the flu every year Mm -hmm. than this virus so far you know I mean and I felt like they were trying to rationalize away the um, importance of dealing with the coronavirus by comparing it to something that's that, you know, the, like the flu that comes every year. Mm-hmm. And while I agree that we, we need to look objectively at things like that, um, there also comes a time when you have to acknowledge that that line of thinking might apply to some places but not others, and you need to know when to change that re- thinking. Yeah, it's a tricky situation. I mm-hmm. think we naturally kind of look for something we can understand it by relation to. So mm-hmm. people originally would call this like the bad flu. But now we know more that it's just its own thing and it's worse in a lot of ways. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other point kind of going along with that that I thought was really important is she talked about how different um, disciplines should work together more. Like if veterinarians and biomedical researchers had more uh, interaction and overlap then like some of these diseases that are spreading among animals first could be detected early on and then maybe never have the chance to spread uh, widely among humans, right? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good point that if there is more coordination amongst um, just different meta- or different scientific fields mm-hmm. to maybe be better prepared for this. And I know like there's, um, there's one infectious disease expert I, I can't remember Peter, Peter Dezak or Drizak or something. Mm-hmm. He's he's been on sixty minutes. I've seen him other places, interviewed other places, like on Vox Explained on Netflix. Um, but he's like has actively gone to China and and tried to find bats with diseases to try to study like what potentially could be the next one to leap from animals to humans. Oh yeah, yeah. But like that is like a very specific like. Uh, research assignment that he's been on I feel like you're right that there could be more coordination between botanists or biologists and and 
veterinarians and medical doctors and yeah. so why is every college it seems like has its own like building like this is the building for engineering this is the building for <laughs> social sciences i mean i know that's more like a literal like physical divide but i think <laughs> if they if they actually like everybody's in their own world and silo like this was a big problem in uh businesses too like everyone siloed um, and then now people are trying to have more uh integration um, among teams yeah well, no yeah i think integration is always important but i feel like when you come to, when you talk about education i feel like it is going to be more centered towards one specific um path or major because that is the whole the whole educational system is built around that but now. why, why but does I, it have to be like that uh, and I think the professors and researchers who are teaching the students should have more interaction with people outside of their field because that's where like creative, you know, things come from. I guess so. This is breakthrough stuff. This is I like mean, no, educational. I, I, I think it's a little too <laughs> idealistic, Tim. I, I, I appreciate the thought. I, I think you're, I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. Yeah. I'm just saying you're wrong <laughs> Look, <laughs> in a different way. Everybody's on Zoom anyway, so. Well, yeah, like like you can't, I mean. Traditional college is over anyway. Oh, it's over completely. Well, I mean this, this semester. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. 2020 should be over, right? Hey, we're halfway through. Yeah, more than, but. Okay. But how, no, I mean, I, oh, yeah, God. I get what you're saying. That's, it, it would be, yes, it would be ideal if more people could collaborate across uh, uh, prince, uh, fields to be better prepared for what may lie ahead. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. All right. So how about this link? Social scientists uh, who could have understood the, <laughs> the financial crisis in like 2008 could have helped prevent the spread of dengue fever in Florida because she said, uh, so 2008, there were all these foreclosures and real estate issues. So it, it meant a lot of like unabandoned or abandoned houses and pool, pools in Florida. So then the mosquitoes were all like gathering and spreading and populating. And then this led to a rise in dengue fever. So if the social scientists and economists could have communicated this to like public health officials, then we could have like, you well, know, I don't out. think like economists were sitting there like, look at all these vacant pools. There's going to be a breeding ground of mosquitoes. <laughs> no, there. Okay, that's I why mean, that's the biomedical like, people. Yeah, sure. like like, but you don't know. That's the problem. Is like, the economists didn't know what would be pertinent to the biologists, and I think that's the problem. Is that there are there's bits of data in one field that the people see every day in that field have no idea how to link it to stuff in the other field. So how do we solve that problem? That's a good question, Tim. <laughs> it's like that book Range we read. Everyone should like know a little bit about a lot, right? Uh, yeah. Did we read that? No, we didn't oh, read sorry. that. I'm like, no. Sorry. Yeah, I read that. <laughs> we'll take that out. I know, I know what book you're talking about, though. Okay. But, but no, it's, it's, it's a tough puzzle to solve. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how to solve it. You're like, you're like, I mean, like, we're just, process, okay. I'm just trying to process you're, the book. And You're here. a surveyor and I'm a software engineer. Yeah, So sure. maybe we could prevent the next pandemic by combining our skills together. Maybe we can. Probably not. No, but. probably not. <laughs> but you never know. Yeah. Um, dang, no, those are big, big thoughts, Tim. I appreciate that. Thinking the, big over yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, you brought your A game today. <laughs> I am just like, maybe I'm a, just pessimistic today. I mean, I'm getting most of these ideas from Sonia Shah and her book, Pandemic. Right. right. But no, I think you're expanding on them too, though. Yeah. I mean, one thing I found interesting was that her, she had a little warning 
about fungi uh. because we honestly don't have any natural defenses against fungi other than our warm-bloodedness mm-hmm. because fungi can't sur- survive uh, like temperatures north of like 80 degrees but the average temperature is rising correct so the, well the average temperature of the whole globe is rising right, right. so and so fungi are adapting to that so if they if they get to a, a, a unfortunate state of where they can adapt to human uh, body temperatures then we could get fungal infections inside more than just like athlete's foot athlete's foot is just exterior it's mm-hmm. just because your feet are it's on the external part of your body so it's not as hot as your you know your body core body temperature mm-hmm. so if fungi can get used to our, our core body temperature then we have no other really way to battle an infection that way and that's i think yeah. the thing with the bats i think was a fungal infection because bats have are cold blooded so uh, they get fungal infections yeah that's what's crazy it's like some anti global warming type people might be like what's the big deal if the world gets you know x Pers- Mar- just slightly slightly warmer, warmer. Yeah. but then you think about yeah like how fragile some ecosystems mm-hmm. are and then if you know who can really predict these new diseases that are right. going to come about because of that or like with Lyme disease it's like I think what was she saying like deer the more uh, deer oh, there were the fewer ticks it was there because um, there were more deer and the deer were spreading yeah Lyme. deer spread ticks because okay. they naturally get ticks but it was also because we developed more land and uh, rooted out and scared away the possum and the chipmunks that were naturally in the forests, and the possum and chipmunks like eat ticks. They were predators. Of, yeah. Okay. So the fact that there's not, not as many possums as chipmunks means there's more ticks to go around. Yeah. Yeah. Which I didn't even know that about possums and chipmunks. Just kind of makes you ticked off, you know? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> One idea, I, one thing I found very fascinating was, um, it was almost just a little paragraph. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't ex- expand on it too much, but a lot of what she left unsaid was, was what was left unsaid was volumes. Uh, how when European explorers settled or colonized Amer- Americas, South, South and Central America, they brought over smallpox and that ravaged through the native people of the Americas, right? Mm-hmm. At the same time, those colonists, when they went to Africa, got they, they tried to do the same thing in Africa, but they got the colonists, the Malaria, yellow fever. Yes, suffered from malaria and yellow fever. Mm-hmm. So what would the, the dynamic of the Americas and Africa be if those were flipped? Mm. You know, like basically what that, what she implied was the fact that because the Europeans could not colonize Africa because they kept getting sick, they just stole Africans from the continent, shipped them over to the Americas where the natives people were dying from the, the diseases that the Europeans brought over mm-hmm. and made them slaves to, to help uh, settle the new world. Yeah. Isn't, isn't that crazy? That is crazy to think about. Isn't it that book, uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel, kind of yeah. talks about that? Yeah. That's been one I've been meaning to read. I didn't, have you read that? I haven't read it. I saw like a documentary about it, though. Oh, okay. Much faster than reading it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, you get the gist. Like, yeah. So there are germs, and germs helped Europeans spread uh-huh. because they, yeah, infected the West pretty right. much. Right. Or the Native Americans. And Guns and Steel. And Guns and Steel. Yeah. But no, I th- I just thought that was one interesting book. Yeah, part of this no, book. that part was really yeah. interesting. Was there anything else that you like? What are the parallels 
do you see from this book that you see today? I think the pattern of governments trying to suppress information mm -hmm. is pretty common because like with cholera, like no one wanted to admit there was a problem, people in power, because they don't want to like spread this fear or whatever. And then even today you have governments of all forms, you know, democracies and more oppressive governments, mm -hmm. uh, you know, trying to suppress information or, um, or that sort of thing. But like that, you know, like I can kind of understand people in a position of power don't want to spread panic because maybe the panic is somewhat unfounded. Like maybe with Ebola, like most, you know, we don't really have to worry about that. Right. Um, right. but at the same time, it's like, you have to keep people informed and kind of get out ahead in front of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, just clear, honest communication early on right. is important. And that's tricky because sometimes you don't know how serious a situation is until it's too late sometimes. Um, but I think you're spot on with the, the, the transparency of, of sharing information with, uh, from government agencies. I found from this book uh, very parallel, a lot of parallels to today. Mm -hmm. But one thing I found interesting was that, <clears throat> well, yeah, when cholera was infecting New York City, the people in New York or the the leaders in New York City and the New York City like medical uh, administration didn't want to admit that it was like a, a disease ravaging the city, mm -hmm. but. Uh, because they wanted to make sure that the harbors were still open and people were still coming there because they relied so much on trade and immigrants and everybody. Mm -hmm. um, but neighboring areas that then got affected because people from New York spread out, like up the Erie Canal and maybe around New England, the neighboring areas were more willing to call it what it was because they didn't have so much like riding on you know, other people coming to their town. So they were able to call it what it was and... and and you know maybe be a little more um, on top of responding to the disease. The thing I thought about when I hear when her, I heard that little uh, story, I heard about I, I thought about the Spanish flu mm. because the Spanish flu in 1918 is called the Spanish flu not because it originated in Spain, but because Spain was the first country to admit that there was a pandemic going on. That's why it was called that? Yes. I thought it was we were scapegoating the Spanish by calling it, it like originating in Kansas or something. And we scapegoated it, it, the yes, Spanish. Yes, we, we did. Yeah. We scapegoated the Spanish because they were the first ones to actually sound the alarm on it. Oh, okay. It started in Kansas. It was ravaging through the the troops in, in World War One mm -hmm. across Europe. But Spain, I don't think, was in World War One, Or they were off on the, their own. Anyway, Spain was the first country to actually acknowledge that there was a disease going around, so that's why it was called the Spanish flu. You know what? It's weird. What? I don't think she ever mentioned Spanish flu in this book. She mentions it once. Okay. It seems like if you're going to cover, if your book tagline is from cholera to Ebola, that seems like a pretty big one to skip over. I completely agree. And I and that's the thing is like I don't feel like it was a, as thorough of a broad overview of pandemics as I was expecting. Yeah. I'm not disappointed in that because I, I enjoyed the stuff about cholera and, and a few things about SARS and MERS, but like, yeah, she only mentions it once and like, oh yeah. The most nightmarish flu pandemic in modern times struck in 1918. The pandemic, the pandemic virus H1N1 had amplified and grown virulent under the usually crowded conditions of trench warfare during World War One. So, I mean, she mentions it very, very briefly, and then she calls it, it was a form of H1N1. Mm. So, apparently that, I mean, 
I did not know that. I think it's probably a tricky book to write because, like, you could it get is. really historical about it. Yeah. You could make it, like, you know, just fact, fact, fact. But I think she tried to make it a little more, like, um, engaging. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, the way she put it together. Right. So what are the big takeaways here? We never really know where the next one's coming, right? Yeah, it's kind of scary. Just it the is. unpredictable nature of it. We have to have clear uh, and consistent communication from leaders. And transparent. Which I don't think we've gotten since yeah. in COVID. Um, masks? No masks? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, side note, wear a mask. Well, yeah, we're please. wearing a mask. Um, and yeah, and, and it's just a matter of, um, you know, clearly identifying what the problem is and trying to work towards a solution and not scapegoating anybody. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, that's, that's no good. Yeah, it's easy to exploit people's fears, but, you know, remain calm. Don't give in to conspiracy theories and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Yeah, on a more positive note, she talks about how, like, human cooperation is what allows us to deal with diseases better than any other species. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you know, bats can't talk. Well, I guess they can use sonar and talk to each other, but they're not, like... They're not, like, communicating. Avoid this cave. It's got... (laughs) You don't know that. (laughs) They could be saying that. They probably are. Uh, but one thing I found interesting was she went off on like a tangent or I felt like it was a tangent how the difference between uh, organisms that sexually reproduce by uh, finding a biological partner Mm -hmm. and sharing genes versus organisms that just clone and and can split off uh, make a clone of themselves and split off offspring that way Mm -hmm. and she went on this long explanation of like how um, the reason, like ideally the clone process is a, is more ideal for dealing with random um, weather events or predators or that kind of thing because it's quick, quicker, it's faster, and you don't have to have a second person. You, one person, one organism can create another organism. You don't need two organisms to create one organism. But then she talked about how the reason this the the sexually reproductive organisms thrived and survived other than the cloning organisms is because pandemics because pandemics can adapt to if you make a clone if organisms keep cloning themselves then the genes are the same so that pandemics will adapt and eventually be able to wipe out all those genes mm-hmm. where the sexually reproductive organisms that that share 50% of their genes create a organ create a new child with 50% of genes of the parent of each parent so that that is not a correct clone a, a direct clone so the pande- pandemic won't affect or a, a disease a microbe won't infect that yeah that was offspring. really interesting i i thought it was interesting too i felt it was a little you think it was off topic from a little bit yeah. a little bit off topic and i felt like it was it was a little too like simplistic like she just said clearly it's just because of this and that well you that know, could be its own book for sure like, I, yes I yeah. agree I feel like that was a little and so maybe that made it feel off topic because it was such a deep topic that she just kind of wrapped up in a few but pages the basic idea being that like our drive is to pass on our genetics so why do we split genetics with another person mm-hmm. and her argument is that it's for genetic diversification so that we're less um, susceptible to pathogens right so that's interesting, but, and yeah, and then she talks about how like different populations are more prone to certain diseases. 
and um, you know people who come from this area of the world like are more likely to suffer from a certain affliction or type of issue because after thousands of years they didn't build up defenses to a pathogen that resides on the other side of the world mm -hmm. and then she mentions like maybe when it comes to like being attracted to a mate part of that attraction is based in this like you know primal sense of like this person is genetically different from me or something right did she even say like at some point it's even comes down to like body smell odor odor like pheromones. body odor yeah like <laughs> yeah. it's literally like that um you know basic of our evolution someone's like mm, they got a good immune system <laughs> yeah. smelling on them yeah <laughs> yeah so don't so, wear deodorant yeah what would you would you change anything what would you in change this about book? book yeah the book is pandemic cholera ebola i think you gotta give each disease its fair mm. dedication at least proportionate to the amount of people like it affected like the fact that she barely mentioned spanish flu i think mm. you know in hindsight looking back at reading this book it seems like a real gap and um yeah that's I, think, what I, would say. I think that's a fair criticism yeah um i feel like what would you say i feel like the subtitle could have should have been different like yeah. using cholera to explain because that's just it she uses cholera a lot to explain the different aspects of a pandemic it should have been the cholera book yeah, just, yeah. i mean maybe not the cholera book maybe what cholera can teach us about pandemics yeah. or something like that chasing cholera that's a good title <laughs> Chasing cholera. I don't know. You gotta use like <laughs> a mean chasing like two C's. Uh, okay, alliteration. Uh, yeah. What do you think could have been better in this book? What would you have done differently? Um, good question. I think I would have. I think I think you're right. Focus more on the Spanish flu. Mm -hmm. I didn't know there's a whole other book about the Spanish flu, like the Great there's Flu a few out there. or something yeah. like that. Um, but a little more about that would have been nice, or like. Even SARS and MERS, I felt like were discussed a little bit. She kind of glossed over them. Yeah. 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 So it was, I mean, like, there was a lot of things she, I guess, could address more. But I, I genuinely liked her writing. I felt like I was, I was entertained and engaged. And, like, there's no critique about, you know, her actual writing. It's just mm -hmm. the, the last third, it just was, like, kind of like where we go from here. I feel like I can't help it. But I felt like the last third was a little vague because we are living through the next pandemic right now. And I know at the time she wrote this, she had no idea what, you know, you can't predict where it's going to come from or how, how the world's going to respond to it. And I felt like she tried to explain how to best tackle it, but it's, it was still rather vague and just kind of yeah. wanting more. Could have used more clear cut advice and it's hard and yeah. it would have been a hard task to do at the time um do you have any quotes or anything no you, i you're never gonna have quotes i stopped again, doing okay? quotes <laughs> i i'm only gonna do ones that are really good yeah go for okay. it okay and i'll so, discuss them well i mean i think i only have one then that's really good okay because like a lot of this stuff I, I highlighted and then i read later and i'm like yeah that was interesting but like nah i'm not gonna read like that's just it there's no no yeah I mean, I could read about how, like, one, one story I liked was the fact that New York City had so much filth and human waste, in, or animal waste, too, in the streets that one time they cleaned it all off, and, like, old women were like, I didn't know the streets were made of stone. <laughs> like, cobblestone underneath all the, yeah. the black waste that was caked on the, on the road. 
Yeah. You love the poop stuff. I right? do. I, well, I, I work for a civil engineering company, so it's kind of like I, I, it's in your in, nature. I deal, I deal with uh, infrastructure projects all the time to improve the quality of life and sanitary. You're uh, preventing the disposal. next pandemic. I like to think I am, Tim. <laughs> I like to think I am. All right, I got one quote, and I think this sums up the book and where we are in the world at the same time. <clears throat> Unlike acts of war or catastrophic storms, pandemic-causing pathogens don't build trust and facilitate cooperative defenses. On the contrary, due to the peculiar psychic experience of new pathogens, they're more likely to breed suspicion and mistrust among us, destroying social bonds as surely as they destroy bodies. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. Because... It kind of puts it at the societal level. Right. You know, we're not just fighting a disease. We have to cooperate across countries and cultures, individuals. Which is hard to do. Public interests, private interests. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard. It is hard. But it's something we have to do. And so, like... No scapegoating. Right. No conspiracy theories. Right. Let's tackle this head on. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, no. What were you going to say? Well, I was going to go on a tangent there about conspiracy <laughs> theories. But I don't I have to today. <laughs> <laughs> you're saying you're not going to go on one of brian's rants on this well i can if you want me to dude i mean conspiracy theories are <laughs> feeble attempts by weak-minded individuals to try to uh thoroughly explain uh random or or evil events in the world and just because they're random and evil like a big event like 9-11 doesn't necessarily need a big like reason behind it like terrorists hijacked a plane and drove it into a building did you watch john oliver's uh, uh last week one? tonight about con co coronavirus conspiracies nah is that a recent one yeah it was from like i think two weeks ago or so okay last no, week I seen it. yeah it's very good it's good yeah so hmm. good book tim rating time rating time oh man all right can you go first i'll go first so i don't get accused of copying yeah. you i like i like the author i think she's a good writer but like you know, comparing it to other books we've read, I'm like, ah, ah. I'm kind of between a couple, but I'm going to say a three. Okay. Yeah. I three, was, uh, excuse me, a three out of five. Our scale five. is one to five, so three. Okay. Three I, for me. Yeah, I was borderline three and four. Like, writing-wise, four, like, I think she's very smart and had mm -hmm. a lot of interesting ideas, but just because of the shortcomings that we talked about, then I feel like I have to give it a three. Yeah. But I'm not saying it wasn't worth reading. No, I, I, I but, yes, yeah. I learned a lot and it was very interesting. Yeah. So next book, good pick, Tim. Thank very you. timely. I, I wish I read it before the coronavirus. Maybe I would have had more appreciation for it. But anyway, I get to pick our next book. Mm -hmm. I'm Brian, and I'm going to pick <laughs> Dune by Frank Herbert. That's our next book. That is our next book. I thought it was the Doom Loop one. Nope, that's the one after. Oh, okay, okay, good. I yeah. was about so Dune about is a fiction. Dune. It's a classic sci-fi novel. It is a long one, yeah. so I've never gotten around to reading it because it's long. But I hear good things about it. It's a cult classic. It's it, Herbert has gone on to write numerous um, sequels to it, and his son even took up some of them and has written more. And then also there's going to be a movie made. Yeah. A movie adaptation uh, 
with the director Dennis, Dennis Villanueva. Vill- Villanueva. <laughs> Villanueva. <laughs> Some French. He yeah. did a great job with like Blade Runner. He did. And Arrival. Yeah, I know. So those are, those were great movies. So he's I'm got the sci-fi to credentials to yeah, pull this off. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to reading it. It might be a little while, maybe four weeks or Probably. five weeks. Yeah, it's a long one. I know. It should be good though. I'm yeah. looking forward to it. All right, good. It's a classic. All right. All right. Yeah, so until next time, keep reading. Keep reading. <laughs>